bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you can join us. It's October 24th, and I'm Paul Dragoon. Arkansas is kicking out China and wokeness. And in a momentary turn of accuracy, the New York Times just admitted it lied in its Israel-Hamas war reporting. Also, it looks like the international deep state has slapped down another nonconformist who was on his way to winning, this time in Argentina. We have those big stories coming up, as well as an interview with the former CEO of the John Birch Society, who will be talking about recruitment. But first, the fight in Gaza is coming home to the USA. On Monday, President Donald Trump said in a true social post that tens of thousands of strong young men from the Middle East have already invaded the United States. He predicted that they will, quote, become a problem the likes of which we have never seen before. Trump was talking about our poorest southern border, the one that the Biden administration opened wide the moment it came into power. Since fiscal year 2021, border agents have encountered 7.5 million illegal immigrants trying to cross over into the U.S. This is according to Customs and Border Protection data, and it only accounts for the illegals that we know of. Moreover, the number of encounters with illegal immigrants from the Eastern Hemisphere, which includes the Middle East, has more than doubled over the last year. According to the 2024 Homeland Threat Assessment, border officials have encountered 228,000 migrants from the Eastern Hemisphere. And it gets worse. Under Joe Biden, Border Patrol arrested 282 illegal immigrants that are on the terror watch list. That number under Trump was 11. Also, Border Patrol has arrested more than 70,000 special interest aliens from Afghanistan, Egypt, Iran, Syria, Uzbekistan, Turkey, Pakistan, Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq, and Mauritania in the last two years. The Department of Homeland Security says these are the kinds of people who could pose a national security risk to the United States or its interests. And on Sunday, the Daily Call reported on an internal memo drafted by Border Patrol. In the memo, federal officials warned that members of Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and Hezbollah could be crossing through the southern border. Germans in Berlin got a little taste of Islamic terror-inspired civil unrest last week when a pro-Palestine protest turned into a riot. Rioters firebombed cars and they caused other destruction. They also injured more than 60 officers. Here's Euronews reporting on what happened. Several hundred people defied a ban on pro-Palestinian rallies and took to the streets of Berlin on Wednesday evening. According to the police, more than 60 officers were wounded by stones, flaming liquids and acts of rebellion. There is no information on injuries amongst the demonstrators. 174 people were arrested after the rally, 65 who are under criminal investigation. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz calls on the authorities on Thursday morning to prevent demonstrations that threaten to turn into anti-Semitic rallies. Anti-Jewish sentiment is surging in Germany's large and growing Muslim community, which, as the Wall Street Journal reported, has been expanded by the country's openness to asylum seekers. Germany has been suffering a self-inflicted refugee crisis for about 10 years now. More than 322,000 migrants requested asylum in Germany last year. My colleague and executive senior editor of the New American Magazine, Steve Bonta, joins me to discuss today's stories. Hi, Steve. Salam. How are you? <laughs> Well, I, I'm well. Um, 
considering everything that's happening here. Now, what are the chances that uh, we don't have groups of wild-eyed, illiterate, and bloodthirsty Islamic radicals already here? Because it seems like that's probably what's already happened. Well, I, I can't speak for the illiterate or the wild-eyed part, but Islamic <laughs> radicals certainly, um, they're here already. They've been here for a long time. And, um, you know, the, the, the guys that carried out the first World Trade Center bombing back in the early 1990s mm-hmm. were led by a, by a one-eyed <laughs> radical sheik who'd set up shop in northern New Jersey. Did he really have one eye? He did, and okay. everyone knew about this guy and the fact that he was preaching jihad and so forth and mm-hmm. so on. And, um, you know, eventually some of his ad- adherents got, got serious and decided to try to take down the World Trade Centers with a truck bomb. Yeah. They did not succeed, although they did kill a bunch of people. That was, that was everyone's kind of forgotten that because 9-11 kind of eclipsed that event. But this is not a new thing on American soil. However, it's limited by the fact that in contrast to our neighbor to the north, Canada, and most of Western Europe, the percentage of Muslim immigrants is relatively low mm-hmm. in the United States. Now, I was thinking as you were going through the first this story, the irony that when President Trump imposed the so-called Muslim travel ban, which actually was a travel ban on people from countries that are most prone to furnishing terrorists, yeah. most of which, but though not all, happened to be Muslim, but of course it's portrayed as this racist thing. The press screeched and yowled about it, and created, it was one of the first great political kerfuffles of the Trump administration. And that's saying something, because there were many. Yeah. So, But during that whole time, 11 guys on the terrorist watch list were apprehended trying to get into the country. Now, with a wide open border, we yeah. have hundreds, no yeah. doubt, and no one utters a peep. Okay. But this is because, I think, deep down in their dark hearts, the radical left is well aware that another terror, major terrorist attack in the United States would be a godsend to them. In particular, Why because is that? well, first of all, it's not going to take it's not going to take the form of hijacked airplanes. That, that you know, 9/11 was a one-off event. It, it was succeeded because no one was expecting it. Yeah. But I don't think it would be possible to do that a second time. There have been a couple instances since then where dudes have stood up in planes looking Muslim and scary and instantly get tackled by passengers. The people know about this. Yeah, okay? they're on the lookout. And then ever since the Oklahoma City bombing, it's become quite difficult for would-be you know, car bombers and truck bombers to get like lots of fertilizer because mm. people who sell fertilizer yeah. and things like that or dynamite, other explosives, are required to report transactions to the government. So the government, you know, watches that as well. So it'd be difficult. So to they're going to have to get creative, that. huh? No, not really. What they'd, have, what they'd have to do is go buy a bunch of guns and carry out an, an, an oh. October 7th style mass assault on a soft target like New York City or some other place where almost everybody is, is disarmed. That, and you can't everyone miss. knows if, you know, if, if, if you're a terrorist or any kind of radical in the United States, that's the way to go. And it would have the double benefit from the point of view of the radical left of probably prompting more and possibly irresistible cause, uh, calls for gun confiscation. So that, you know, if, if, if anything happens in the next five, 10 years, that's the form it's likely to take. And it would be politically extremely convenient because, you know, if you, ha- if you had an October 7th style event with a bunch of guys carrying legal AR-15s and AK-47s and stuff like that that you can buy in any gun store, 
in downtown Chicago or New York, or better yet, in several you know urban centers simultaneously, you know, wrecking maximum havoc. Yeah, yeah. You can just you can just imagine the domestic political blowback that that would cause. Well, I imagine some of these folks uh, who are in here who who made it past and weren't of the two hundred who were caught. They're on some sort of list where they're not able to legally buy firearms, right? Not from well, no, not. I mean, if not, you're maybe ter- not from a firearms dealer, but it's very easy because of the so-called gun show loophole uh, to purchase firearms from you know from third parties from you know private. What is this gun so show? So. I bought guns at, at, at gun shows, and there well, is, it means it means they, it, they still do criminal background checks over there. Not necessarily. If you're a gun dealer selling at a gun show, then you have to do that as a dealership. But if you're a private individual, if you go to a large gun show, like I used to go when I lived in Utah to the Crossroads of the West uh, gun show yeah. in, in Salt Lake City. And you you also have dudes just walking around with you know carrying a couple of guns that they want to oh. sell and they just sell on the floor. I've and, never seen that. And, and I think some states have made this kind of you know person to person transaction yeah. illegal, but it's still it's still quite quite easy to do. So I mean the reality is that acquiring firearms is is still yeah. thank goodness relatively straightforward in the United States, and that includes for people who are non U.S. citizens. I, I was reading uh, one of our much much older issues. Um, last night, and I realized that... W- show I think- the cover, show the cover. I don't think you see the cover in the camera there. Yes, and, that's a classic cover, folks. Yeah, it's an amazing issue. But I realized that the environment, the pro-Second Amendment environment is better today than it is, I think, back then. We're going to have to... We're going to... I mean, um, it's, it's, really, it's really something. I think we've come a long way on our Second Amendment, and I'm glad uh, to see that. And I, I, don't, I don't think that people... Uh, today are going to buy a lot of the anti-gun stuff. Thanks, Steve. We're going to have to we're going to have to touch more on that. Uh, up next, Arkansas's governor is taking on wokeism and China. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Something good is happening in Arkansas. Last week, the natural state was the first to force a Chinese-owned company to give up its American land. Here's Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders making that announcement. I'm announcing that Syngenta, a Chinese state-owned agrochemical company, must give up its land holdings in Arkansas. Syngenta owns 160 acres in Northeast Arkansas, which it uses primarily for seed research. The company that owns Syngenta, Kim China, is also on the Department of Defense's list of Chinese military companies posing a clear threat to our state. Seeds are technology. Chinese state-owned corporations filter that technology back to their homeland, stealing American research and telling our enemies how to target American farms. 
That is a clear threat to our national security and to our great farmers, especially since the Chinese government enacted a law in 2017 requiring Chinese citizens abroad to collaborate with their country's security officials on intelligence work with no questions asked. And there's more. Arkansas is also trying to kick out wokeness. Here's Governor Sanders talking about that. It's great to stand up here with some of the most influential and amazing women from across our state. We are all here to say, frankly, that we've had enough. Enough trying to erase women and girls, enough denying our biological differences from men, and enough of the craziness that is taking over our country. They're using nonsense words to erase women and girls, and more importantly, to erase our voices and our experiences. Today, we're taking a stand against woke nonsense. What frankly started as a fad among a few grad students has seeped down into corporations, the healthcare industry, and increasingly state government. It's demeaning to women, and it needs to stop. In a moment, I'll sign an executive order banning a number of all sorts of ridiculous words from state government documents. Those include words like pregnant people, laboring person, birth giver, and several other nonsense terms that have cropped up in recent years. <laughs> Steve, I saw you laughing over there. Can you believe this is... I this, shouldn't, these because are the it's not really funny. In. It's not really funny, but one must seek humor where one can find it in these parlous times. What, what do you make of uh, what Governor Sanders is doing over there? It looks like she's kind of, she's doing some good stuff, some good work, and it begs the question, I'd imagine, why aren't others? Like, there's other efforts of similar, but what do you make of these two, especially these two agendas here? Well, I, I guess I would start with the first one. Yeah, I mean, um, China, that's, well, well, sure, I mean, how's that going to go? Well, it's, it's very obvious. I, I mean, you know, everyone else can see what Arkansas all right, but ah, no one is doing anything about it good, until it's well. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's it's, <laughs> oh, they it's, told it's, me not <laughs> it's patently obvious yeah. that that this is going on. Um, anyone who yeah. knows anything about China knows about all of this, and yet we continue to insist that their corporations have this essentially unfettered access to everything. Yeah. Not just all of our technology, but it turns out our farms, our military bases, you know, yeah. it's, it's, there's nothing, you know, these, these various, there was a uh, brouhaha recently in the press about, what was it? Was it Montana? Well, it's both Montana or, or, or and North, North Dakota, wasn't it? North Dakota, they, 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 were, they were buying up, Chinese concerns were buying up large tracts of farmland very close to a major mm. U.S. military base. Gee, I wonder what they want that for. Well, so, Florida has banned that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's another China ban. Now, um, the, the governor of Arkansas is given this Chinese company two years to divest of that property. Now, you might not be surprised, but China's um, media has already shot back, I guess, uh, Global oh, Times. Oh, sure. Of course they have. Uh, they said, Arkansas's latest move shows that the American investment environment is awful, completely driven by politics and not worthy of trust. Worse, it proves that American politicians are incapable of driving local development, but are good at orchestrating political farces. This from the same regime that's busily intimidating foreign firms, cracking down, passing new laws, uh, empowering themselves to arbitrarily detain foreign business executives. They've done so in recent months mm -hmm. from Japan and the United States and so forth, uh, shutting down companies, arbitrarily confiscating assets of foreign companies whenever it pleases the Communist Party to do so. I have a personal friend who used to work over there and for a large foreign 
corporation and one you know, that, that literally plowed hundreds of millions of dollars into building a new factory. And then the government decided, no, we want that. And they took it. And then they said, well, but, you know, well, we'll give you a SOP. We'll give you this other you know, piece of land. You can build a factory there, too, yeah. and, and start bidding. And, they, the, and, the, and the company in question said, no, thanks. We're leaving. So there is no more hostile place on earth save maybe Mauritania mentioned <laughs> the early story, to try to do business right now. It's fraught with peril, and it's getting worse all the time. Do you well, think that China is going to leave Arkansas without a fight? Do they have a choice? Well, no, of course not. No, they, they, they've, they've learned how to exploit our legal system. They have an enormous number of lawyers that they can retain that will fight tooth and nail and obviously always play the race, racism card and, mm. and sc- cry discrimination and all the rest of this. Everybody's being unfair to them. Yeah. You know, the Ch- Chinese are, are nothing if not masters at throwing calculated tantrums to get their way. And so, sure, th- th- there will be issues there, obviously, when, the, when there was an attempt made to, to ban TikTok and when Trump was still in office to, uh, to ban WeChat and other, uh, other, other Chinese apps in the United States, they fought back with every legal means at their disposal. They know how to exploit the weaknesses of an open society But, but to be ours. fair with, with TikTok, there were implications that matter to us as well because we know that our politicians weren't exactly being very genuine and they were looking to get more out of it than just banning the Chinese, right? I mean, there was some concerning aspects about the TikTok ban that they would apply to us as well. Well, there's always, there are always political valences to yeah. this. I mean, politicians always do things in part for, for the sake of political theater. Yeah. But the fact is that there is not a single Western app or social media site you know, Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. not to mention Google products, so YouTube yeah. and everything. Those are all banned in China. Right. The world's largest. Or, Facebook you know, is banned there too, isn't for, it? Facebook is banned. And by banned, it means it's blocked by the Chinese censors. If you are caught using a VPN to access that uh, or to access a, a, a Gmail account, door. Yahoo is now banned as well. All this stuff is banned. The old, you know the Chinese government creates all of their own social media, and yet they insist that that their, all of their apps and social media be able to operate here without any trammels yeah. in, in the Western world. Even while they prohibit, and I'm not defending the likes of Facebook, and we know they're evil, faceless corporations and all that. Facebook, how can it be faceless? But it is anyway. Uh, but <laughs> if, if 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 strict reciprocity is demanded, then then we should say, okay, well, you know what? You're banning this entire extremely lucrative sector of Western tech in China for your own political reasons, and you have sovereign right to do that if you want to do that. But we're going to do the same. Yeah. You know, if you're not going to let our tech people make money over there. We're not going to let your tech people make money over here. And yet the response to that was, oh, we can't do that. Lots of hand wringing. can't do that. You're being racist and discriminatory. And much of this is being actually and calculatedly uh, stirred up by the Chinese themselves who have learned that thanks to the, the woke movement, the potency of the woke movement, if you cry racism, You'll you get can pretty way. much get your way. Yeah. Um, this year, apparently lawmakers in 33 33- states have introduced more than 80 bills that would prohibit the Chinese government. So it seems like there is some sort of movement there. We got a a minute left here. Any comments on this uh, wokeness? It seems like common sense. It's like, yeah, we should uh, should ban that. Any other additional comments? Well, again, I mean, we don't work the same way as China or uh, more authoritarian states. These things take time. But yes, people are People are, you're referring to the woke language. And yeah, so yeah. She's, and, I mean, yeah. I mean, she it's, said it's ridiculous and it's nonsense. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when if I, I, 
would quibble with her using the word ban. It sounds too much, too censorious. It's the sort of thing that people say, oh, 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 you're banning speech. You can't do that. And so, so it's, one of, it's one of those words that, mm. that, that, that you use at your own risk. But that said. They, she, she should have said, well, we're changing said, the I mean, language. Th- there's a long overdue backlash and reaction afoot. But of course, in our society, it takes a while for these things to happen. In China, of course, they can simply say, okay, we're banning this, yeah. whether it's a corporation or, or language or, or, or some mo- new mode of conduct, and it happens. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, be it's more efficient, but we don't, we don't want to sacrifice freedom for efficiency. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. Hey, folks, be sure to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And if you don't have one already, get a subscription to the print edition of the New American Magazine. The New American offers in-depth coverage and analysis that you will not find anywhere else. Subscribe at thenewamerican.com or by calling our office at 800-727-8783. After this, the New York Times was cornered into admitting its reporting on an explosion in Gaza last week was fake news, and it looks like the deep state may have slapped down another populist figure, this time in Argentina. The John Birch Society has been working tirelessly since 1958 to preserve freedom, safeguard the Constitution, and restore our God-given rights. We continually educate voters and lead the freedom movement. Join us as we work against a tyrannical one-world government. United as one, we can defeat this conspiracy against a free America. JBS founder Robert Welch said, education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Join us in restoring this great nation. Something strange happened yesterday. The New York Times admitted that it published fake news, sort of. In an editorial titled, Editor's Note, Gaza Hospital Coverage, Times editors try to make amends for their irresponsible reporting on a hospital in Gaza that Israel supposedly blew up. The truth turned out to be that the rocket came from another terrorist group within Gaza, and it didn't even land on the hospital. Times editors said that the early versions of the coverage rely too heavily on claims by Hamas and did not make clear that those claims could not be immediately be verified. The report left readers with an incorrect impression about what was known and how credible the account was. Instead, the editors admitted they should have taken more care with the initial presentation and been more explicit about what information could be verified. The erroneous reporting on that incident prompted lots of backlash, including from Elon Musk, the owner of the social media platform X, Days after the Times fake reporting, Musk removed their verification badge. Okay, Steve, so the most obvious question here is, how serious do you take a group of barbaric uh, nitwits who just slaughtered hundreds of people? Like, what are they thinking? I'm not sure how to answer that. Is that a rhetorical question? (laughs) Well, it's just, it's strange that they would not go beyond, right? It's like, oh, Hamas said they blew up this hospital. These are people with like no moral standards whatsoever. Okay, they- okay but let, let, let's put this in context. This is the radical left we're talking about. These are people for whom black is white and white is black. These are people who love to destroy the traditional family, yeah. but don't scruple to encourage and participate in the genital mutilation of little children. Yeah. Okay. So their moral compass is completely misaligned. Yeah. All right. It's pointing to the South Pole instead of the North Pole, which actually doesn't make sense. But anyway, you know, it's 180 degrees out of phase. Yeah. And so this is not surprising. I I saw, I forget who it was. I was watching coverage of this last night where someone made this precise point. They said, you know, given the fact 
that the radical left has espoused all of these not 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 amoral, not immoral, but I would say anti-moral causes in recent years that to anyone with with a scintilla of common sense are clearly and unmistakably evil. Mm. Why are we surprised that within hours of this horrific massacre on October 7th, they're already making excuses for Hamas. Nay, going further and protesting and weeping, you know, crocodile tears like like Rashida Tlaib uh, in sympathy with Hamas and all those poor beset Palestinians and the poor innocent people and so forth and so on, and nary a peep about what happened to all those Israeli women and children. I mean, these people are in favor of infanticide. We call it abortion. Yeah. You know, and they're in favor of the mutilation of children. We call it sex change operations or whatever the current term is. But why are we surprised that they're that they don't have a problem with Hamas murdering and mutilating children and women? It's a good point. I guess we shouldn't be. Let's look at our last story here. It appears that the international deep state has successfully put down Argentina's Javier Milei. Millet is the fiery libertarian presidential candidate and Austrian economist who looked to be on an unstoppable trajectory to victory. The Argentine economy is in the worst shape it's been in a generation, with hyperinflation destroying the value of the peso. And commerce has basically come to a standstill. People are afraid to buy and sell assets of any kind. Millet was far ahead in the polls, and he trounced his left-wing opponents in the first round of elections in August. But... In events reminiscent of November 2020 in America, Millet shockingly lost to the establishment candidate, Sergio Massa. Massa is Argentina's finance minister. He's supported by Brazil's Marxist leader, Lula da Silva. After Massa's defeat last August, Lula told Massa to, quote, stop accumulating dollars. It's time to gather votes. Hmm. Massa expanded Argentina's social programs and he cut taxes to bribe the electorate right before the election. But he didn't get enough votes to win outright. So there will be a runoff next month between Millet and Massa. Steve, I know, um, I, actually, I don't know that you were surprised. I know you were, you were, you were a big fan of Millet there. But did you see, I guess this isn't surprising, is it, that what happened there? Well, you know, the radical left have learned from the Trump experience and also from the Bolsonaro experience in mm. Brazil in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Same playbook, huh? It's the same playbook. They, they, they learned how to, how to get rid of these people. And I'm not surprised that they pulled apparently a similar stunt with, with Milena. Now, Sergio Massa is, again, as you mentioned, he's Argentine, Argentina's economics minister. He's the guy <laughs> who's presiding over Argentina's worst hyperinflation since 1991. How does, 1991. That, how does okay? that guy and, win? And I know where I speak. I was in Argentina for a month and a half last year. I've got friends there who are in constant contact yeah. with me. When I was there last October, the blue dollar, the rate of the unofficial rate of exchange between the dollar and the peso was about 280 pesos to the dollar. Okay, mm-hmm. It's over a thousand now. And it's rising daily. Right. It's gotten to the point, according to a friend of mine in Argentina, told me the other day, he's having a hard time buying a laptop because no one is selling any type of consumer good right now that could be considered an actual asset. Mm. You can't buy cars, motorcycles, boats, laptops, or any type of computer or tech devices. It's almost impossible to buy TVs. People are battening down the hatches. That's how bad it's gotten. We're talking almost, but not quite, Weimar Germany levels of inflation. And yet, yes, I was going to say, supposedly, the guy by a, mar- who's, who's by a margin charge. of 7%, 
they go out and vote him in first place. Have you talked to anyone in Argentina? Do they think this is legitimate? I, ha I haven't had time yet. It's only been, what, less than 48 hours since all this took place. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, just looking at it, obviously that little, that little comment from Lula da Silva from back in August, you know, Lula is the Marxist in, who managed to, to seize power in Brazil in a hotly debated election, very reminiscent of what happened here in 2020. Mm-hmm also reminiscent, they have used that as an excuse to jail many of the people who protested the validity of that election. Yeah. You know, they're going after Bolsonaro, and if passed his prelude, they will try to do the same thing to Millet if, as I expect he will, his side loses badly, loses, in air quotes, next in, in next month's, you know, final runoff election. Okay? Yeah. So th this narrative that's being promoted in the media, and I've been following this story closely because Argentina is a place near and dear to my heart. I, I first went there as a teenager 40 years ago. I lived there a year as an exchange student. Loved it. I still love it. It's a magnificent country, magnificent culture. But the Peronist political caste and the Peronists are basically the Argentine equivalent of the American Democrats. radical left mm -hmm. establishment. Okay, they call it la casta in Spanish or the caste. Okay, they have a stranglehold on that country, and they're well connected to the international left. In fact, uh, um, uh, Kirchner. The, the, the Kirchners, who have been the pre, kind of preside over Argentina for the last 20 years, were friends with the Clintons back in the day. Oh. Yeah, so so they're, they're connected. It's not like it's, this is some banana republic that has no connection to the outside world. Argentina is a lo very large country. It's extremely rich, and not just in cattle. It has a lot of lithium deposits, a lot of copper, what about enormous oil? amount of petroleum, and um, all, you know, all silver gold, all kinds of natural resources. It's in many ways similar to the United States, but oriented north to south rather than east to west. Yeah. So it's a huge potential prize. And there ain't no way that the international radical left is just going to let Argentina slip into the, into the win column of us, yeah. the so-called right-wing extremists, without a fight. Yeah, and, and they, obviously they didn't do that to, to Brazil, too. Is there any yeah. chance of Millet pulling this out, even with the cheating? There's a chance. I mean, one of our colleagues was going to interview him today, and they backed out of the interview telling him that there's, you know, they want to do it in a few weeks, but apparently right now the press is trying to portray him as, as because he's had many interviews with foreign media, including Tucker Carlson. He's trying to become an international rock star, and he doesn't care about Argentina, so he wants to make, he's doing mm. everything he can, pulling out all the stops. All I know is when I was in Argentina, you know, whenever last October, about a year ago, everybody was talking about this guy and not just the well-educated, you know, hipsters in Buenos Aires province. You know, I, I met poor people yeah. who may, of, of questionable literacy in, in the north who are saying, oh, yeah, Emile, he's my, got my vote and so forth and so on. So and he's it, a phenomenon. Yeah. And it, like you, like we already discussed, but it's astounding that of all people that they want to portray as winning, it's the economic minister who's <laughs> considering what's happening there. That's just crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he, he represents the power block in Argentina. The, other, the third candidate, a woman named Patricia Bullrich, is actually sort of a left-of-center coalition person. Mm -hmm. I doubt very much that the people who voted for her in this round will turn to Millet, but anything is possible. Well, we're going to be watching this, and I know you're definitely watching this. Thank you, Steve. All right, folks, after this, Mr. Art Thompson, the former CEO of the John Birch Society, is going to join me, and we're going to be talking about recruitment. As a lumberjack, I've been cutting wood for decades. My job is pretty straightforward. I see the wood, I chop the wood. My axe goes through every time. You remember when everyone bought all the toilet paper? And they wanted me to wear these things? 
and someone invested a lot of money into this stuff. They say I'm part of a global plan. I don't think so. It's too hot, it's too cold. You know what? The weather changes. We even hear crazy ideas on how kids should learn. Here's the news, Dad. Is it, son? Is it? What about this one, Dad? Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. There's just too much baloney out there. At the New American, they cut through the baloney and give me the truth. Visit thenewamerican.com and subscribe to get 50% off the cover price. And if you want an even better deal, use the promo code 10OFFSUB. Again, that's 10OFFSUB for more than 50% off. Join me for the action segment of our show is the former CEO of the John Burr Society, Art Thompson. Welcome, Art. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I am well, and uh, I'm always happy to have you on. We've been going through this series of, of mobilizing and organizing, and today you wanted to talk about recruitment, recruiting for the patriotic cause, right? That's correct. And specifically for the John Burr Society. Perhaps. Absolutely. But th this could be applied, I take it, to other groups as well, right? Well, that's true. Absolutely, yeah. First of all, we have to realize we can't do anything alone. It's going to take others. And uh, a lot of times people uh, just will not move toward action until somebody else moves them in that direction. A leader provide, takes, takes... Exactly, yeah. provide leadership. Mm -hmm. And that's what people should be doing. But in the process of doing that, in everything they do, they should think of building the organization, building the people around them to help them do those things that, that they're going to be working on. Mm -hmm. So when I was, uh, you know... Uh, first started out in politics and in the John Birch Society, uh, that was the way I did it. Uh, you know, number one on the, the number one agenda of the Birch Society agenda yes. is recruitment. You gotta build the organization. So I took that to heart. So everything I did, whether I was in my community club, whether I was in the Chamber of Commerce, whether there, the Republican Party, didn't matter what it was, I always had that on my mind. And so I took the educational uh, aspect of the John Birch Society into those organizations. I got them to understand certain things through various uh, films, speeches, all that sort of thing uh, in the meetings and so on and so forth. Magazines, pamphlets, oh, things like that. All sorts of things like Which that. Which we make tons of, by the way. You can oh. get them at jbs.org. <laughs> <laughs> what a shameless plug there. Go on, Art. But then I would see who were really interested. You know, who just didn't just absorb it and take it home and say, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but uh, those who are really quite concerned as a result. And then I looked at their character. And then I worked with them. And what I would do is I would make up a, uh, you don't need to do this today. You've got your telephone, or not your telephone, your, your, uh, your cell phone computer? cell phone in your pocket. You can yeah. do it on there. But I used to write down their names and phone numbers. And I would sketch out on there what they had come in contact with. Mm -hmm. Had they read this, had they seen that, had they attended the other. Yeah. And then I would say to myself, okay, they're prepared to be asked to join the John Birch Society. Yeah. I did not want to just simply out of the blue ask them to join something that they really didn't know much about. Mm -hmm. And so along with the education on the issue of the day or issues of the decade or whatever, 
uh, I also educated them on the John Birch Society. And a lot of times I did it through uh, questioning. I didn't do it by, you know, this is... Peppering them with information. Oh, yeah. Mm. Listen to me. I have the answer kind yeah. of a thing. You, you, you can get them backed up into a corner where they realize they don't know the answers. Uh, if you simply ask them a series of questions over a period yeah. of time, the Socratic approach is what they call it. Yeah, and, and I imagine there's uh, when you start talking to people, you'll start to realize what what they don't know, what they do know, and you'll start to pick up also on uh, who who would make a good leader or a good activist because there seems is there a disconnect because there seem to be lots of keyboard warriors, lots of people complaining. But how much of I'm sure you don't. But a small, only a segment of that can tr- be turned into good pro- patriotic activists, correct? That's correct. And look, if if we could solve the problem by being before our computer and typing in that or watching We'd it, be the freest people ever! It, <laughs> the problems would be all gone, right? <laughs> right. So that's not going to work. No. The other side understands organization. The, the right... Uh, part of politics. They don't get it at all. They think that they can go to a meeting and, oh, they just leave and say, oh, that's so bad, that's so bad. we got to do something. Yeah. Uh, but they never do. They never really organize in the sense of organization. Why is the left so much better at organization? Is it because they're more determined because they want to bring something that is not existent, whereas the right we take comfort or, you know, we just want to lounge around because we still live in relative peace and prosperity. Is that what it is? Well, a couple of things at play. First of all, you're talking about collectivists. The other side are collectivists. Yeah, they work well with it. So they work together. Mm. They collectivize. Yeah. Uh, we're a bunch of individualists. Leave me alone. We're stubborn. Yeah. We're cats. They're dogs. Yeah. Uh, herd dogs. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's hard to get individualists together, working together. Be- and another problem that we have on our side of the equation is we all want to be the leader. <laughs> is that really true? Oh, by and large. That sounds yes. like a big responsibility. I wouldn't want that. Well, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they actually will take the responsibility yeah. to do something, but they want to be able to wow. you know, address what should be done. Uh, follow me, but uh, I'll be in back pushing you, yeah. <laughs> not really in front where you actually are following. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of psychological things uh, in, involved in that. But the thing to always remember is we have to build the organization getting them working on those things that have long-range, particularly long-range uh, results. Uh, in other words, if, if uh, we know they're going to put us into a one-world government and what the method that they're doing that is with the U.N., yeah. so we got to get out of the U.N. Yes. Uh, they want to nationalize the police, so we've got to support our police and keep them independent locally controlled by our city council. So so is that how you get to them? And I think you have already answered this, but I just want to confirm here. You get to them by appealing, uh, by talking to them about things that they're already concerned about, helping them realize what the truth is behind that. That's true. Uh, and I don't know of an issue where that is not the case. Uh, sometimes it's very subtle, uh, but the more you know, uh, the better you can convey that to mm-hmm. somebody to get them to understand that. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the problems that we have as human beings is that a decision made today, we can't extrapolate out the results of what that means into the future. 
And only by reading uh, and understanding uh, politics and human nature and the nature of government particularly can you understand exactly what that innocent little thing today that appears to be beneficial Mm -hmm. will lead to tomorrow. I just learned of one yesterday that I didn't realize before, and I can't quote exactly what it is, but Trump started a new organization to stop a certain amount of censorship in the Internet. Well, now it's been turned on its face to where the other side is using it against the very people that put it together. Uh, and, and those sorts of things, when you give power to government, yeah. they will misuse it. Uh-huh. You can't give power to government. Are there any advantages that we have today when it comes to recruiting versus when you know you are out hustling and bustling in in your you know oil coordinator organizer days? Um, do you think there's any advantages that today's court, uh, John Birch Society members and organizers have that you didn't years ago? Well, the advantages, of course, is one one is the internet. But again, that is something uh, that is kind of superficial. And it's not engaging. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what you have to always keep in mind. You've got to engage people. Yeah. And and so that is very, uh, very good. The the cell phone, uh, you know, that little instrument in your pocket. Mm-hmm. When I was a coordinator, you had to figure out where all the pay phones were. Yeah. <laughs> you had to walk around with quarters. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and the thing was that anything more than 20 miles was long distance. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. Well, now you can dial the world for, you know, a flat fee per month. Yeah. But I'd, I'd imagine also we, we got to make sure we don't over-rely on the cell phone because then we're not going to meet in person. I, I, that's where that's where the, the crux of the matter is, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. We have to meet. We have to connect in person and then mobilize in person, huh? Not only that, but let me give you another aspect of this. When Paul Revere ran out uh, rode out uh, to warn the people in, in uh, Lexington, when he and other the two others rode into the front yards of these people and yelled, the British are coming, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't go back to sleep saying there's some drunk in our yard. They yeah. knew who those people were because yeah. they'd already been working together. Yeah, so he was they credible. To, they trusted them. Yes. And that's part of building trust in your community. That's such a good point. That's 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 what the that working at the beginning, talking Absolutely. to them, building those relationships, giving them pamphlets or whatever else that you you can sense uh, they're into. Art Thompson, thank you very much. We look My forward pleasure. to having you next week. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. And remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. Enjoy the rest of your day and join us tomorrow for another episode.